You're listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. What if you could drastically change the direction of your life or even maybe reinvent your life? That's right. Totally reinvent your life. One year from today, if you could wave a magic wand and have any life you wanted, what would it look like? Who would be in your life? How would you spend your days? Where would you live? How would you feel? Well, our guest today, my friend Damien Lupo, totally reinvented his life several years ago and authored the book on how you can do the same thing. Welcome, Damien, to Living Wealthy Radio. Thanks, Teresa. It's awesome to be here. It sure is. It's awesome to have you here. So, Damien, we met exactly one year ago next month. We were introduced by two totally different people from different corners of the world, and uh, we had a phone conversation, and from there I ordered your book and read it and absolutely was fascinated uh, with the content, but also the fact that you were so totally open about who you used to be, and that person wasn't really necessarily a very nice guy. Uh, The man you used to be, you shared so much about yourself that was not at all flattering. You lay it all out there. So I have to ask you, what the heck were you thinking when you decided to write this book? I was thinking about that on the way over here, and I I was thinking that this book was sort of like going to Times Square on New Year's Eve, getting naked and standing in the middle and seeing what it was like, because that's really the the process I went through. I got naked, went down to my core, and for some reason, I felt like I had to get something out of me, and it turned out to be everything, and then it ended up in this book, so the whole world can see me in the middle of Times Square, I mean, all my dark secrets, my, my, my shadow life, my the history... And by that process, got it out and opened me up to doing some changes and ultimately reinventing. But I didn't realize that the book was part of that process. It was actually bringing it all to the surface. So that's kind of, it came out because I knew, I knew some stuff had to come out, but it was definitely getting naked. I mean, I was vulnerable with this and everything that's in it. You, you were absolutely. And, and for someone like myself who really is pretty private, I was so fascinated with how you lay it all out there. I mean, the ugly stuff, the non-flattering stuff. And uh, the guy I've come to know is really an amazing guy and an awesome guy. But the process you had to go through um, was really just impressed me immensely. So the book, writing the book, the process was cathartic, but you think it was also part of the reinvention? I think it it sort of culminated or brought it to the surface and there's some one of the things I talk about in the book is is going conscious and the only way to go conscious is to figure out what the truth is and in my case I was entangled in so many different lies that I was telling myself and everybody else I had to figure out what was real and the process of getting to that place was really 
getting this all out in the book. And even though I'd done in the book, even though I'd done a lot of work on myself, this was the point where I put it in front of myself and then read it and went, wow, that's really what was. And I don't even like that guy. I wouldn't like that guy if I met him. So it, 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 took all the the years of of hiding and therapy and just everything that I went through the whole process and brought it into one place and then I could start I could take that as my base point and really lift off from it or grow from it but until it was there it was in my head and and as as people know when when things are in your head they tend to be confusing because they that your your brain is a pretty complex place so in a book form it it gave me a place to to reflect and and start making some pretty drastic changes so what does it mean to you to reinvent your life? Reinvention is is really a process of getting very, very clear on where I am and what I am and then figuring out where I want to go, who I want to be, and and then employing whatever resources people are needed and and cutting free of whatever's not serving me or what's keeping me where I am that I don't want, whether that's in relationships or financially or whatever. So it's, it's a process of going deep into what's real, what's true and, and starting there because a lot of times we have goals, we, we want something different, but we're not willing to acknowledge where we really are today because it hurts. And it's, it's a result of decisions we've made over a period of years, our whole life. And if we're going to acknowledge what's true today, then we, we might have to say, hey, some of the stuff I did was really stupid, and some of those decisions were really, really ugly, wrong, bad. And it's hard to admit. We don't, we don't want to feel like we've made a big mess of our lives, but the truth is we're living in a lot of messes, and until you're willing to acknowledge that, you can't really get out of them. You're just going to drag them along to a new space and a new day. So the only thing I could, I guess I could relate to from a I guess, uh, to share would be if you get caught in a lie and how you feel when you get caught in a lie. But what you went through was so much more than that. And and to say it's about, like, if you've got goals and you want to, you know, figure out a way of getting to the goals, I think it's much deeper than that. I mean, you, you literally um, decided you wanted to change who you were. What what was the What was the event or the trigger point that caused you to acknowledge you wanted to change who you were? There's there's one particular event that I talk about in the book called the trigger event, and when you were you were talking there, I, I just remembered another moment, and I think that that was a a different type of trigger event, but it was also very powerful. So I'll share both of those. the The trigger event that brought me to my knees was back in, I, I believe it was it was in 2009, and I was in a state of of hiding and fear, and I had this big mess of a life, and I just didn't want to be found. I didn't want people to know the truth. I really didn't want to acknowledge the truth. And so I was basically hiding in in a um in a house on the edge of the desert in Scottsdale and Your parents didn't know where you were. My it, parents didn't know. I didn't I didn't want them to know. I really nobody knew where I was. They they tried to know. They they wanted to know, but I just deflected because I I didn't really know how to get out of the place I was at and I hadn't had I hadn't been brought to my knees yet. So this particular day, I had a knock at the door, which is a little strange because nobody knew where I was. And when I went to the door, I looked through the peephole, and I saw four people standing there with badges and guns. And I thought, oh, man, they're here to get me. And I don't even know who these people are, but I, it, 
I must have done something. So I went and hid in a closet for the next couple of hours. I, I tiptoed to the closet and, and closed the door in the darkness and just sat there and waited. And eventually I went, slipped out the window into the desert, went through the neighborhood, came back and looked to see if they were maybe staking out my house. And I went up to the front door and I saw a an envelope. And I thought, oh, no, what is this? This is going to be... I, my brain went into the worst case scenario. I opened the envelope and it said, Dear Miss Dorman. And it it was from the IRS. It wasn't even for me. They were there for the previous person that lived in the house before me. And so, so even though it wasn't for me, it, the message was for me. You weren't even a criminal, right? It wasn't like you broke laws. You weren't hiding because you were hiding from the law. No, I... I, I wasn't hiding from the law. I was hiding from the the decisions I had made in in all in all my choices over the previous ten years with the the business and the real estate, the the stuff that I was involved with. I just I was going so fast and building up and a portfolio. I was building my business and I was I was playing very fast and loose in in a lot of the things I was doing. And when it crashed down in two thousand eight, I I was dealing with a big mess and a lot of pain, um, mine and a lot of other people's. And I, I, I felt terrible and I, and there were people that were very mad at me. And so I wanted to avoid acknowledging what I'd done and I wanted to avoid everybody basically attacking and yelling at me. So what, what I feel when I hear that you were living in a house in the middle of nowhere, I feel lonely. I feel Fear, I feel depression, I feel isolation, I feel suicidal tendencies. I can't imagine the hell that you were in, the personal, deep, dark hell. And you isolated yourself because you didn't want anybody near you for a reason. I did isolate myself, and it's and it had an impact. And, I th- and I, my suspicion is this happens with a lot of people when they're in that space where they're in that in that fear. I had a lot of of health problems. I couldn't sleep. I was nauseous. I was I I was anxious all the time and and then I used I used things to to deal with that whether it was uh, it was dating a lot like all the time. It was using alcohol. It was using things to to deal with the truth and avoiding the truth. I was basically numbing myself to looking in the mirror and and that it helped me stay numb, but it didn't help solve the problem, and it didn't help me reinvent. It didn't help me get to get out of that. I just stayed in it until that trigger event. So what happened after that trigger event, after the knock on the door? At that point, I realized that I was the problem. I realized that my decisions were got me where I was. How, how did you realize that, though? Like, you're hiding in a closet. You look at the letter. You realize so much of this crap was your imagination, right? I, th- I think when that happened, it tore something open. It was like tearing a scab off or a Band-Aid or something. It exposed something. And there was there was a, a flood of emotion that, that surged through me. And I remember just bawling and, and thinking, what, what, have I, what is my life? What am I doing? And I didn't know how to fix it at that point. I just knew that, that was, I was very honest with myself. This is, this is a problem. There is there, there's got to be something different that I have to do, and it's not what I'm doing now. And it was, and then after that, within a year, I, I left, I left the house. I lived out of my car for a while. I went to a, 
went to Connecticut and worked on a, on a, a campaign of, as a volunteer and ultimately got fired from that because I was still in my reinvention process. And it was, uh, it was funny when that happened because I wanted to pretend I didn't get fired, but only I could get fired from a volunteer <laughs> position. And, <laughs> and I have no doubt it was because you, you spoke your mind. I, I think but I, was, and it, I did speak my mind, and I was, I was also trying to figure out what was true. So there was a mix of, of chaos and, and less than candor, and then sometimes too much candor. And it was just – I was in a, in a jumbled mess. There was a lot of turbulence. There was the opposite of stillness and peace, which is the last chapter in the book. It talks about getting into that place where things are calm and, and the simplicity in your life – which really comes down to the truth. When you get to the truth, you're not trying to plug lies. You're not trying to numb things that aren't real. You're you're living with what is, and it doesn't take a lot to be happy. You know, I think most people have uh, a disconnect with who they are. They really don't have a, a relationship with who they are, right? And I think the greatest relationship one can have is with God, and then there's themselves. And this book... I believe is all about having a relationship with yourself and with the person that you want to be, right? It's not about having, you know, how can I get a new car? How can I get, you know, achieve a goal? It's about how to be the person to have the kind of life that you want. When when you had that trigger event or after the trigger event, did you have a path or a process that you were following or were you just trying to Figure it out day by day. It, it was it was literally a process day to day that where I was trying to figure it out, and it wasn't until I started working with with a therapist that just basically held space for me and kept asking the question. Really, the question was over and over, "What's true?" And then I'd go a little bit deeper. And so he he didn't have anything profound as far as words of of sage wisdom or anything he just opened a space for me to go deep and it hurt and that that was the process to go deeper and deeper and i remember one of the things that that he said to me in the beginning when i started working with him i made some comment and i said something to the effect that somebody didn't trust me and he looked at me and he said i don't trust you and i went wow and then i realized he didn't trust me because i didn't trust myself so why would anybody else trust me and that was a big uh, it was a big moment to have him say that, and then maybe six months later, when when something came up, and I, I out of nowhere he just he looked at me and he said, "I trust you." And there was I knew that there had been a shift to the point where I could trust myself because I don't think I I was really able to trust myself for a lot of years. So I looked for external validation. I looked for other people to give me accolades or to say that I was good because I didn't trust that I was good. I didn't even trust myself to do the right thing. I was just moving as fast as possible and hoping that the speed would make up for stupidity, I think. And that speed is noise? The speed is noise, and speed kills. The The speed creates a lot of chemistry. It creates a lot of emotion, and there's this high from it. The problem is you have to keep going faster and faster because there's a need for us to want to grow. And if speed is how we're we're living, then the only way to grow is to go faster. And so for me, that was go get a Ferrari, go go really fast, D- don't have relationships that go deep, just go wide and, and, and spread myself all over the place, never really connecting very deeply to anyone because I can go really fast. 
and it can look really, really good and impressive when, in fact, it's very hollow and, and very lonely. Did you realize you were lonely? I I think I did. The the other moment that, that came to mind, the trigger event, I was I actually had a relationship uh, with a wonderful woman, and and I was involved just basically freelancing my my love life around, and I, I got caught. I got caught being in both of these relationships, and I finally just let go. I finally just looked at her and I and I said, Yeah, you're right. I did it, and I I'm I'm guilty. It's it's mine. And she just looked at me, and I could tell for the first time she actually totally trusted me. She knew that the the lies and the and the deception and the management and the manipulation were done. I was ready to be there. And that was probably the most connected I ever felt was that moment as far as with her and the relationship ended. But it was a very interesting moment to when I just opened myself and was honest. I didn't try to make her think anything. I just was honest. And I fully expected that she would just punch me in the face. But that's when I realized that the power in being honest with other people and yourself will set you free. And it, that's when it started happening with me. Wow. So as far as reinventing your life, you you went from, uh, at a very young age, you had a very successful business in real estate. You were a real estate investor. And you had all sorts of relationships. You had all sorts of toys. You had this huge bank account, the black American Express card, you know, all, all the bragging rights you had, right? And so layer by layer, each area of your life crumbled till you had zero or, in fact, you had negative because you had to build from a very negative space, right, to get back to zero. That's right. It it really did go. It, everything fell apart. The the, the friendships, the, the, the monetary wealth, this stuff, I mean, it literally went away. It got to the point where I was I was in my car and I I felt like I really wondered if I had any friends. I mean, I'm living literally living out of my car with my stuff, going, what am I going to do? I've I've just lost everything. I mean, I even lost my dog. I mean, this is I, everything went away, and so it was it was a reboot. It was like a restart of my life. So, at any yeah. point, were you suicidal? No, I don't think I was suicidal. I was I was in a lot of pain. I think my body was, in a way, shutting down. It was because I'd created so much stress and 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 pain, and there were there were a lot of that pain went on for so long that I thought, when is this going to end? This is this is tearing me apart. I can't function like this. So it was a psychic pain. It was an emotional pain. It was. It, it was an emotional pain, and it was literally a physical pain. There was all this pain was was going on because I wasn't ready to be done with it. I wasn't ready, and and by by being done with it, I mean I wasn't ready to go deep into it and acknowledge what was really there and what what I'd done. And what I'd done was a reflection of who I was, and that's the thing that I wanted to argue with. That's the thing that I I wanted to say. No, that's not true. That that wasn't really me. But the truth was. Yeah, it was. It was me. And and so then I had a baseline. Then I had something to work with. I can go, okay, I never, ever want to be that person again. Who do I want to be? And let's let's have my doing, whatever, however I act, be in alignment with who I want to be and make sure that there's integrity there. So do you think it's possible to recreate who you are? 
I, I think it's entirely possible to recreate. It's it's a choice, and and sometimes sometimes it's it has a lot to do with your environment because there's influence, and sometimes it's and most of the time it has to do with making a choice. Once uh, once you make a choice and you say it's non-negotiable, then you then you can start working from that because nothing is allowed to break you from that. But until you go into that state, you, until you go, until you make that choice, you're stuck in your stuff. Do you think most people need to recreate themselves or reinvent themselves? I think most people have an opportunity if they were to acknowledge where they are, that they could create whatever would make them truly happy. And when you look at people and they're not happy, it's because there's something that needs to be reinvented. Our guest today is reinvention expert Damien Lupo, and we are discussing his book, Reinvented Life, which exposes the deep personal transformation he made during his reinvention and provides real strategies for any, anyone wanting or needing to reinvent themselves. When we come back from our break, we're going to dig in even deeper into the reinvention process and his mind-boggling journey. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Be right back. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you're just now joining us, we are speaking with author and reinvention expert, Damien Lupo. So, Damien, let's say someone wants to reinvent their life. You talk about in your book um, changing your mind, the difference between changing your mind and exchanging your mind. Speak to that. So we can, in, in my, in, in my struggles through figuring out what was true, I, what I, one of the things that I learned was that we've got these, we've got these two parallel minds running. They're running perpendicular, and they have. It's it's kind of like the the angel and the devil that are on your shoulder. And for a long time, I think the the devil was pretty much running the show. I had the angel giving input, but it was pretty much getting crushed, and so. And, and if you didn't have that angel, you would have been a sociopath, right? You, you wouldn't have had any anxiety about what you were doing or the life you were living. Uh, it was the fact that you did have that, that angel or that consciousness that you were messing up that you had the anxiety. That's right. There, if, that's right. You would be a total sociopath if you didn't have this, this other side that was pinging you, that was giving you feedback. And so they typically are out of balance which hopefully the one that's driving the good, the just, the moral part of you is the stronger one. In my case, for a long time, the other one, the almost the hedonistic consumption, do anything at any cost type of mentality, that one was driving the, the show, was driving the, uh, the train. And, and so the, the, in the reinvention process, what I, what I realized was that you can choose which path, which which mind you're going to give the power to. And the more you strengthen the the one mind, the other one loses its grip. 
And so as I as I focused on the mind that was it was all about good and it was about abundance and prosperity and joy and love and connection, the other one lost its ability to run the show. So even though there would be moments, and it happens all the time, and I think this is a huge mistake that, that people will make where they, they think, I can't have this thought. This is a bad thought, or I can't. It, where did that come from? That makes me a bad person. And what I realized is that when when the this little demon decides to pop his ugly head up, I go, okay, I got it. Thank you. And, and this, this space of gratitude for, for just acknowledging that I'm a human being and I've got these thoughts doesn't mean I'm going to go act on them. And and then the power keeps growing with the the one the the mind that's in integrity. So you can change your mind, but when you when you exchange and you you give power and you practice the and you bring you strengthen the muscle of the mind that's driving the bigger version of you, the the more connected, the more loving version of you. That one takes over, and the other one is still there, but it doesn't really drive anything anymore. So the volume goes down. The volume goes down. It pops up and you go, huh, okay. And then there's no energy around it. But when you fight with it, it's it's kind of like in the martial art I teach, Aikido. If you fight, if you're in conflict, then it gets uglier and uglier. And if you learn how to blend and you learn how to be grateful for it, we have we have partners. Even if somebody's trying to punch you in the face or take your head off, you are literally blending and at the same time, protecting them. So this is me not trying to kill the evil little mind. It's me just blending and saying thank you and protecting it. And it just, it just goes away and I move forward. So they're, they're really the same thing. One's a physical practice and one's, one's a mental exercise. I work with money, um, as do you actually. And most people I meet um, would like to improve their finances. And in order for that to occur, Obviously, they need to become someone different, right? Uh, I, I think there is a general feeling that, um, you know, out there people want new cars or new houses and, you know, increase their bank accounts so they have to go out and do things, right? But actually, the beginning is being someone different, taking different actions, and then you can have what you want. And in the area of finances, nothing could be further from the truth, right? You have to be someone different in order to have a different um, financial um, situation. And in your book, you have some awesome strategies on reinventing your life when it comes to finances. And the first thing you talk about is having consciousness with finances. You spent two years, be- because your income went down and your net worth went down so drastically, you had to pay attention to everything you spent. Talk about that. So there's there's a concept that I call the runway, and it's it's basically understanding where you are financially, not how much money you make, not how much how big your paycheck is, but how much runway you have to live. So, for example, let's say you 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 spend three thousand dollars a month, and you've got thirty six thousand dollars in the bank. You literally have a year of runway, and that is if you're really conscious and you you know that you spend three thousand dollars a month you know you've got a year of freedom and if that's all you have then a year from now you're you're busted you're toast so basically that's your freedom number i had a a moment before the reinvention where i remember thinking 
I have a lot of money flying around, and I'm not really sure what these numbers are because I had all these different companies, and this is how most people operate their lives. They have all these different bank accounts and credit cards, and and there's just money everywhere, and they, they're frustrated because they, they, they're, they're stressed. And it's not because they don't make enough money. It's not because they don't have enough assets. It's because they're not clear on what's really going on. So in my case, I thought, I think I need to get really clear. For whatever reason, I decided to do this exercise. So I consolidated everything. And I thought this this can't be that bad. I mean, my my rent at the time was twenty two hundred for where I was living. I did have the Ferrari and a truck, and so I thought, all right, this is this is going to be probably like ten thousand bucks a month. It was seventy five thousand dollars a month that I was spending, <laughs> and I thought, what kind of lifestyle is this? I don't even. Like, where do, was seventy five thousand dollars a month going? It. I had women. It, yeah. Well, that would have been a pretty epic women. <laughs> I mean, there was, it was it was going it was going to things like I had I had multiple houses that I wasn't living in. I just sort of had them, and I was thinking I I, I would sell them eventually. You were renting. I was renting your house, my place, but then you had other houses. I had other houses, and I was I wasn't worried about it. I thought ah they'll I'll take care of them eventually. They'll eventually sell whatever, and so I wasn't making hard decisions. Like I wasn't slashing prices. I was just living in my my crap and and not thinking and that it stunk. Yeah, my bubble was about to blow up on me. And I, I was paying people, I was paying yes men, people in my life, a lot of money. I had I had a, a, a guy that I hired to give me advice, and I was paying him $10,000 a month. And he basically told me what I wanted to hear. And he encouraged me to go buy the Ferrari. So he compounded the situation. But I hired him to compound the situation, which was perfect because it was in alignment with who I was. I was about consumption more than I was about contribution. And so in that space, I put people around me that reinforced it. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, I am going to spend a million dollars this year just to exist in this space. And and we're talking about you, single man, no wife, no children, right? just yourself. Yeah. And that, that doesn't, that, that doesn't create for a whole lot of freedom because I, I had a lot of money, but that kind of burn rate doesn't last very long and it doesn't matter whether it's 75,000 or 7500 if you don't know what your number is there's no way to make any type of forecast or prediction or make an intelligent decision on this week or this month should i do this should i do that the question i asked all the time was can i do something and this was a profound distinction when i realized that over the those 10 years where I was building up my business and I had all this money, I would look at something, whether it was a Ferrari or going to going on, on vacations or spending money, and I thought, yeah, I can do that. How can I do that? And I would just come up with the way. I could borrow the money. I could go buy some dumb thing, some new pretend asset that would make me feel good about going and consuming more. What I ask now when I see something that sounds interesting is I ask, should I do that? Should I buy it? And that it's not just a should, like, will this feel good? I go, should I do this? Is this going to create more stress because it's going to put financial pressure on me? Am I making rational decisions that support my lifestyle of, of peace and happiness? Because if I'm doing something that's that's taking me away from that, then really what's the point? Am I serving somebody else? Am I making myself feel better because somebody else thinks that I'm successful? And I don't care as much about that anymore. I care about the fulfillment, what I'm leaving behind, what I'm doing to connect and contribute, which is why I teach. I spend about half my time teaching 
and training to to be better, which is something that I didn't do during this process of of just massive speed and consumption and chaos. So there's a huge distinction and difference. Then the goal was more. It was it was what Josh Brolin said in in Wall Street too when he was asked what his number was, like when is it enough? He and his answer was more. That was my answer for years. What is my goal? More. It was never enough. That's why my relationships were never enough. That's why it didn't matter how crazy my Italian car was. I needed a McLaren. I needed more. I needed more houses. So I was constantly anxious. That's a very dangerous place to be in. Most people are thinking about the end game at 50, 60, 70 years old. They'll get somewhere because they'll have more instead of understanding that they have everything right now if they just acknowledge how great their life is and if they can find happiness in in something, it's very fulfilling and it takes away the success driver. This year you lost your father. How did that impact your perspective on your reinvention? I think he was that the last the last week that we spent together when I was up in Alaska visiting with him, we had a number of conversations and I he I, I could feel that he was proud of me. He didn't quite understand all the stuff I'd gone through because it was a lot and he, I, I'm sure he was happy that I survived it. But he he was he made one comment that hit me really really hard and it was when he found out that he just had a matter of weeks left. And he said, I just had so many things that I wanted to do. And I think that that hit me for two reasons. One, I think he he lived sort of vicariously through me in a lot of the things that I did, whether it was traveling around the world or just the ventures I would go into and they would scare the heck out of him, but he was happy I was doing them and living. It was also a bit of a warning to not wait, to not live in the fear to to go and do it because you don't have an unlimited amount of time and he he always wanted to go see where he was from he always wanted to go to Italy and we had planned a trip to go there with my siblings and then when he got sick he wasn't able to travel and so he never got to do that i hear that all the time from people how they talk about doing something someday they live on the island of someday someday isle Someday I'll go there. Someday I'll do this. And in his mind, he always had that someday tomorrow, and eventually he didn't. So that it keeps me focused on making sure that I'm living and I'm not thinking about everything down the road because we don't get to live in the future. We we get to live now. And we have to really honor that and and love that. So I tend to be very optimistic now. I, I Things happen, and I, I laugh. I laugh in the face of chaos, and I, I go, "This is this is going to be an interesting story." So I might as well laugh about it now. I'm mean, I'm enjoying what's going on, and I and I'm doing the best I can, and I give myself a bit of a break when I screw up, and I learn from it. I also know that I'm doing things not to manipulate or manage anybody, but to be in relationship with people, whether it's my clients or my friends. And there's a a loving connection and circulation of energy between the people in my in my life and myself whereas before i think there was mostly a a focus on taking whatever i could it was a very scarcity focused life and energy which is unfortunate but probably a lot more common than 
the abundance philosophy. Abundance is a lot more freeing. It's a lot more interesting. And it's it's happy. So if you were focused on taking from those around you, you associated yourself with takers as well. And so they were looking at you as somebody they could take from. That's, Law of association. That's right. And and I, I learned some big lessons. In fact, I had a, a partner that I worked with for a number of years, and I I had him in my life. It was kind of I kind of bought I should have bought a dog, but I I, I basically bought a, a partner. And when we worked together, he stuck around as long as he could keep taking. And there was this pretend friendship. And ultimately, he left the country and took over a million dollars from me. And so I got mad and I was frustrated and I thought, this guy, he stole from me. And the truth is, he was just like me. And I had associated myself with people that were like me because we tend to attract, there's this magnetism around who we put near us. It's it's your Bucky Five. It's, it's what I call osmotic adaptation. You People around you, you become, you're a reflection of those people that you spend your time with. And so he and I were very similar in different forms, we were the same person. So it was no big surprise that that, that would happen, that, that I would get hurt from somebody because I was doing things that were that were horrible too. And it it had it was just a matter of time, whether it's karma or whatever you want to call it. There it's not neutral who you have around you. And I learned that. It was very painful. And I created it too. It was a choice. So if somebody wants to reinvent their lives, right, they've got to look at who they're associating with. They've got to get real clear on who they're associating with, do the people that they're, they have around them. This is hard. This is, it's brutal when people are talking about their families. And, and there was a point where I thought, well, I just need to fire my family. I'll just cut all my family out. And it's not very practical because there was, there was negativity and so what I realized is there's just a, a decision on how much time I'm going to spend with people that are totally out of alignment with with me. With friends or with people, with colleagues, it's a lot easier. If you're going to be honest about the influence they have on you and how different their philosophy, their virtues are than yours, then it gets a little easier. It's challenging if it happens to be a parent or something. And at some point, you just have to say, okay, I'm going to love this person because they're them. And they're not me, and I'm going to do my best to shield. And you just, I think you just have to acknowledge what's really going on, that there is influence, and then decide how much influence you want to have from that person. You recently wrote about uh, an exercise you did, uh, which uh, had to do with um, eviscerating and grading uh, the people around you. Yeah, if you want to put this process on steroids, that you you basically create a matrix. And so I did this. I, I created a matrix with a scoring system for everybody that has that touches me, that's that's influencing me, from my closest friends to to my family, and I I scored everyone. And I get, and it was interesting to see some of the people that I thought were really valuable when I was grading them based on the virtues and the principles that I hold very true, like integrity, like kindness, like simplicity, these things that are really, really important. And I asked myself, does this person espouse this thing? Can I count on this person? Is this person giving as much as, as 
they're taking in the, is their circulation in the relationship. And some of these people flunked the test, and I thought, wow, I just flunked my friends. And then I, it just it made it very real. It didn't mean I all of a sudden cut everybody's phone number out. It just I got very very honest with the influence that people were having on my life instead of pretending that it was neutral that it didn't matter because it definitely matters. I think part of the reinvention process is having complete and total clarity as to who you want to become. And that exercise, you know, if you are who you hang out with, that exercise, I believe, gives you complete clarity as to who you're hanging out with. It sounds very mean. It sounds very um, harsh. But if you look around, if you've got certain values and you do a matrix on the people around you based on those values and they don't have those values, it forces you to look at yourself and say, who am I really? Because you're, you're probably showing up in a very similar way. If people, if there are things that people don't have or doing, you're probably doing, you're probably, you probably look very similar because you're, the people around you are a bit of a reflection of you. And so it does, it does, it's a judgment on yourself more than anything else. Right. That's the harsh part. It's not necessarily that you look at somebody and go, you're, you're a loser. Because I look at these people and I go, I love them. I love every one of them. They could flunk my matrix, but I loved all of them. And I think what that did, and I, you, you brought this up, and it, I'm thinking about it right now, it really brought to the surface the, the things that I didn't want me to be, I, that I wanted to shift. And until I saw that in other people that I had close to me, I don't think I was clear that those were problems for myself. And if it's not a problem for you, then it's something you're putting up with in your life. And in not only putting up with it, but you're you're inviting it to start creeping into you because the more influence you have, it just it happens. It's like if you go if you go into the south or you you go to some other country, you're going to start talking different with a different dialect. You're going to start absorbing that. You won't even think about it. You are who you hang out with. I mean, over and over again, the the greatest thought leaders in the world over time have said that over and over again. And it's so true. It's just so true. I tell my son that all the time. You're a reflection of who you hang out with. You know, tell me who your friends are, what their grade point average is, and that's, you are the average of your friends that you hang out with. That's absolutely true. Right? Your income is an average of the friends you hang out with. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's that's a big big one for most people. If you if you want to if you want to do better financially, if you want to be rich, stop hanging out with people that are that are on food stamps. It's you're not going to just suddenly wake up and be rich. Find people that have created something that are creating value in the world. That's a big one to to find that it will do more to bring you to that place of abundance than anything else. You know, every single day, millions of people just like you right now are struggling with frustrating lives, with the feeling of being stuck and not knowing how to change, how to find peace and happiness. There seems to be a better way to leave old chaos and confusion behind and live happily, simply, and with crystal clarity. This is the process of reinvention, a process that could give you a chance to live your life with meaning and fulfillment. Um, for more of 
Reinvented Life and Damien, your work. Um, the website for you is reinventedlife.com. We're also going to post a link on livingwealthyradio.com. We'll have the show along with uh, a link to your website and your book. Uh, you know, I, I love you dearly. You are not someone that I would have thought is the man you are today based on what I read, right? And I'm so glad I actually met you and got to know you because reading the book, you were a crazy guy. And uh, certainly not someone I would have hung out with. Me neither. You know. <laughs> but so happy that um, that you've become who you are today. Thank you. And uh, I encourage you listening audience to go check out reinventedlife.com and read Damien's book. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks for joining us at Living Wealthy Radio. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at Talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or, visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did.